this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to the show. I hope everybody had a wonderful Tuesday. A lot going on out there tonight. I mean, a lot going on there tonight. So, my question is this, number one, why is the Biden administration or the government buying so much iodine? There's been unconfirmed reports out there uh, trying to verify them. Uh, Hold on. Trying to verify them that the government's buying a lot of iodine. Mm. Uh, presumably for potassium iodide for, uh, no, uh, in response to a nuclear issue that might be going on out there, uh, up and coming. Uh, so let's uh, talk about it. We do know about this stuff here at JCP, right? Because we did have a guide out, uh, not in print anymore, on nuclear terrorism. And this stuff does go bad after a while. The government has always had it at a supply on hand. And what the idea is, is that you're able to save your thyroid because your thyroid absorbs radioactive iodine, presumably from a nuclear uh, explosion from the fallout. And uh, now you'll, you're thyroid dies so what the idea is, or gets nuked and you get thyroid cancer so what the idea is is that you take potassium iodide you low overload your uh thyroid with iodine and it does not absorb radioactive iodine and it leaves your thyroid good. that's the theory and of course we are not giving any type of medical advice or anything like that here uh with that i'm just no the information is out there far and wide on the internet that this is what the, what the theory is, it's never been really uh, tested on a large scale, to my knowledge, at least. So, I don't know. We'll see what goes on there. So, we taught the last week. Now, again, we don't give medical advice. It's, you know, not meant to treat or anything else, any other illness or ailment or anything else. I'm just reporting what's in the news. And it's unconfirmed. All right. Uh, last week, we talked about a uh, pipeline leak in Washington, Kansas, or can- right, and where uh, part of the uh, Keystone Pipeline spewed about 14,000 barrels of oil. And what's going on is, is that it uh, uh, is contaminating a water source, according to some uh, what's on the news and the information that's out there. And... Uh, the local residents are like, man, this stuff smells and this and everything else. And it's, uh, impacting the local, uh, environment and everything else. So it's still going on out there. I've spoken to some people in the field and they said, it's a real big one out there. So we'll see. California faces lawsuits over COVID-19 misinformation law. Two groups of doctors filed separate lawsuits in federal district court seeking to overturn a California law penalizing physicians for COVID-19 misinformation or disinformation. The new law, which goes into effect on January 1st, expands the definition of unprofessional conduct to include false or misleading information regarding the nature and risk of the virus, specifically COVID-19, uh, its prevention, treatment, and development and safety effectiveness. Basically, you got to toe the government line on this one, whoever, whatever the official line is. That's what the uh, uh, what the art, what the argument against this law goes. We'll see how this uh, ends up. Uh, what what it comes down to is that uh, the argument is that it violates the first and fourteenth amendments of the United States Constitution. Energy groups are suiting Biden 
for failing to hold oil and gas leak sales again. So I'm all confused here. A couple of weeks ago, Biden said that he was opening up leases. And a couple of people are now suing him, saying that he's not opening up an energy leases, or he meaning his administration. The Western Energy Alliance and the Petroleum Association of Wyoming argued in the lawsuit against the Department of Interior, Interior and that the Department of Interior was in violation of the Mineral Leasing Act, which requires quarterly onshore and gas lease sales. The groups also criticized the administration for signaling in November that it won't hold any onshore sales until mid-2023. There's a lot of conflicting reporting going on here. So we'll see what how that works out there. The... Uh, what is the name? Okay, Commonwealth LNG touts a new method of building LNG terminals involving modular construction, which will reduce uh, construction time and labor. The Federal Energy Regulation Committee has approved one of these new uh, export terminals in Cameron, Louisiana. Well, that's uh, probably going to increase our supply of liquid natural gas eventually. Uh, it was the first LNG terminal approved since 2020 and uh, joins the ranks of 15 other projects approved by the government before the Biden administration took office. And, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't know how long this is going to take to put in there. Who knows? EPA announces a settlement with uh, a company to correct hazardous waste violations in 39 states. Today, the U.S. EPA announced a RECRA Section 3008 consent agreement and final order with a certain company to resolve allegations of noncompliance with multiple hazardous waste regulations at 174 facilities in 39 states. The company, which operates a freight distribution and transportation operation, generates hazardous waste regulated under the RECRA, that's Resource Conservation Recovery Act, when packaged containing certain hazardous materials as damage, as well as during day-to-day -day operations. Okay, so uh, nice settlement here and everything else. Good. From OSHA today. U.S. Department of Labor finds manufacturers, a manufacturer in Kinawa, oh, this is a big one, Kuwani, I guess that's how you pronounce that. Kwani, Wisconsin facility. Federal safety, uh, this company in Kwani uh, has 12 uh, violations and a proposed fine of $250,000. Federal investigation, federal safety inspectors have determined that, fail, uh, that a falling load from below the hook magnet crushed the leg of an employee at a heavy fabrication manufacturing company in June, right? So r right on time, right? Six months later, they have this. So what are some of the uh, violations allegedly going on here? I have a copy of the citation letter. So this uh, citation was issued officially, it appears, on uh, December 5th, and it was just, uh, right, today's the 13th, so seven days, uh, eight days afterwards. Yes, I could do math in my head. Okay, here we go. Citation one, item one, type of violation, serious. This was a general duty clause violation against uh, thing, meaning that the employer did not furnish employment and a place of employment which were free of recognized hazards. Right, and uh, it all had to do with a lifting magnet here. Citation, uh, here we go. Citation number one, item two, another serious one. The top edge, okay, this is a fall protection one, right? The top edge height of top rails or equivalent guardrail system members are 42 inches plus or minus three inches, right? That's the regulations. Top edge may exceed 45 inches provided the guardrail system meets all other criteria. Okay, great. On July 12th, an establishment located at 
blah, 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 in Wisconsin, the employer did not ensure the top rails of the guardrail system were 42 inches plus or minus 3 inches uh, above the walking and working surface. So the guardrails weren't that high. All right, that was corrected during the inspection. Here's another one, another serious one. Only stable or safely manned, this is on a forklift or a powered industrial truck, 1910-178. Only stable or safely arranged loads shall be handled. Caution shall be exercised when handling off-center loads which cannot be centered. So uh, basically they were uh, carrying a load and it wasn't secure on a, uh, 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 on a forklift or a powered industrial truck. Here's another one, another forklift violation. Only, only, only loads within the rated capacity in the truck shall be handled. So here we have a forklift was uh, rated, uh, employees are handling loads that weighed in excess of 8,000 pounds with a forklift that was rated for 6,050 pounds. Employees utilize wagons to transfer fabricated parts throughout the storage yard and uh, the facility during the fabricate, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. Right? And that was, they did not get fined on that. That was a $0 fine. Right? Next one, item number four, serious. Another forklift violation. Powered industrial truck operators, operators must receive initial training in workplace-related topics. Right? And everything else. Uh, uh, basically, people were, did not receive uh, training. Now, they got a proposed penalty of $10,360. And another one is a 184, a 1910-184. And that was uh, blah, 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 on web slings. On a blah, 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 blah. Eight-foot synthetic wet sling was not removed from service immediately after it showed signs of wear. And, and the next one is a serious one, is a guarding one. It's a 1910. Well, you know, all these forklift violations, I tell you what. We got 10,000, 10,000. 10,000, so what's that? We're up to 30,000. 30,000. Guess what? To, to f fix these problems, it would have been like maybe four thousand, five thousand dollars. I don't see where the where that works out here. So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna save it. Why am I gonna save it? Because this is going out to my clients tomorrow morning. <laughs> this one. Well, this is getting a little bit swampy here. The next story here. Do, do, do. Ay, 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 ay. This one is from a Minnesota science teacher claims cell biology lessons are part of a capitalist indoctrination plot. And this is actually not from a parody website. This is like weird here. Hold on. I, the link just went bad on me. We're going to go to commercial break. Let me get this story up here. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program success. The question many practitioners have is where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself 
with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Okay, you're going to love this one. A Minnesota science teacher in the St. Paul Public Schools District lamb based its cell biology lessons, particularly on mitochondria, for containing capitalist propaganda. <laughs> really? A teacher at a certain middle school said, Lately there's been, and I'm quoting, Lately there's been a lot of conversation about teachers indoctrinating students to their beliefs. And I always find this funny because our children are seeped in capitalist indoctrination from like the from like the second that they are born, basically. The teacher proceeded to provide an example of how capitalist indoctrination is expressed in her seventh grade science classes. Seventh grade science is the year that you learn that mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell and all the cell biology. So at the end of the unit, I have students take a test. And one of the questions is, is a person says the nucleus is the most important organelle in the cell. Do you agree or disagree and why? Almost every child says, yes, I agree, because without a boss, the cell would be in total chaos. This teacher added, the student's response is cracks me up. Quote, or cracks me up. And went on to claim microscopic bacteria were the original anarchists. Bacteria don't have a nucleus, and they are arguably one of the most successful classes of organisms on the planet. Bacteria out here being the original anarchists, right? No nucleus, no master. Seize the means of metabolism. I don't know, it seems funny to me, she said. And district is being quiet. Now, the teacher reportedly, allegedly, posts anti-capitalist views on her social media's media platforms. She said on Twitter, quote, You are not a capitalist. You are an exploited worker with Stockholm Syndrome. In another case, the teacher recommended that a teacher use what appeared to be a Marxist political cartoon against capitalists. The poster said, Capitalism, we rule you, we fool you, we shoot at you, we eat for you. I don't know. I would hope that all of her uh, lessons are not like that. Now, this is a game changer. The next story here. We have a couple of game changing stories here. We all have the problem with whether we're dealing with safety glasses, regular glasses, uh, uh, no, uh, you know, safety glasses, sunglasses, respirators, and everything else. What, what do we have, the problems with them? They fog up. You cannot beat the psychometrics of, uh, you can't beat psychometrics is what it comes down to, uh, meaning that it's going to fog up. So if you're an indoor quality uh, professional, you know what psychometrics is. It's basically the dew point, right? Fancy word. And... In other words, things are going to fog up, and you buy all this anti-fog for this and anti-fog for that, and it always fogs up, right? There was only one thing that I found that was okay, and they don't make it anymore, an anti-fogger. It was very uh, expensive, and it smelled, but it worked. It, wasn't a, it was smell, but it wasn't like an overpowering smell. But here we have, uh, the source, uh, and the news release is yesterday, and the source is ETA Zurich. I don't know what that is. Researchers have developed a new transparent gold nanocoating that harnesses sunlight to heat the lenses of glasses, thereby preventing them from fogging in human conditions. The coating could also potentially be applied to car windshields. Hmm. Researchers at ETA Zurich have developed an ultra-thin gold-placed transparent coating that is able to convert sunlight into heat. It can be applied to glass and other surfaces to prevent them from fogging. Applications for new coating include eyewear and car windshields. Uh, this is a game changer, all right? I tell you, one of the biggest arguments that we have about people not wearing respirators whether they're filtering face piece respirators, whether it's uh, full face respirators, 
uh, or anything else is fogging when they have to wear eye protection. Or in the case of a full face, you don't have to wear eye protection, but unless you have an insert for prescription lenses or something like that. Uh, this is like, if they develop this and if this becomes, uh, this becomes, comes to fruition here, all right, and this becomes marketable, I tell you what, this is going to be something incredible, right? And uh, the research project received funding from the Swiss National, uh, 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 National Science Foundation, Right, so yeah, that's a, a little bit of a game changer there. We got to say, keep up on that story. So we had mentioned this uh, last a uh, couple of days ago, right? On nuclear fusion, there was an unconfirmed report. Though uh, no, in the wires over the weekend, right on nuclear fusion. Uh, and that there was going to be a major announcement by uh, U.S. Department of Energy this week, the Biden administration. So this is a story from CNN. U.S. Department of Energy officials announced a history-making accomplishment in nuclear fusion on Tuesday. For the first time, U.S. scientists produced more energy from fusion than the laser energy they used to power the experiment. The so-called no-net-gain is a major milestone uh, in, de in decades-long attempt to source clean, limitless energy from nuclear fusion, the reaction that happens when two or more atoms are fused together. The, uh, well, this is actually, uh, wow, something incredible. The experiment put 2.05 megajoules of energy into a target and resulted in 3.15 megajoules of fusion energy output, generating more than 50% more energy than was put in. It's the first time and the experiment actually worked. Well, you know what? That's actually uh, pretty neat. Uh, we do have energy issues here on our uh, world. No, and no, we all understand the controversy with global warming and what the possible... Uh, uh, what the possible, uh, 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 what, uh, you know, uh, effects of global warming are, right? And there's a lot of debate on that. Uh, so, no, and I'm going to remind everybody, consensus does not mean scientific fact. And, you and oh, well, you know, that's horrible, Jim, that you would say that. Well, too bad. <laughs> consensus does not mean scientific fact. The consensus... Uh, out there, no, uh, no, let's talk about consensus on uh, many different things in your own personal life. Consensus was that uh, a lot of people whose ideas never worked and they, they were crazy turned out that their ideas worked, right? Uh, I'll give you an example. Thomas Edison at the beginning, he was an idiot. The consensus of all his teachers was that he's an idiot and would not amount to anything. All right. Uh, hold on one second there. I got to go to break. Something just happened. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. OSHA recordables, first aid cases, catastrophic losses. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. My eight-year-old had a crisis that I had to solve for her. Ay ay ay. Okay. Uh, Thomas Edison, right, was called an idiot. The consensus was he was an idiot. And look at all the inventions he came out with. We have uh, another one here, and you may love him or hate him. He's a man a lot of people love to hate, Elon Musk. Again, learning disabilities, thinking different, Asperger's. The, uh, I'm sure he got a lot of flack and everything, but guess what? I think he did pretty well for himself. 
regardless of uh, what, what he's going through now with uh, the Twitter debacle. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, I tried to share this as everyone knows, uh, I'm teaching a class this week and, uh, at a university, uh, the 10 hour general industry class. And there is a lot of people in that class, right. And, uh, that are, now I hear stories here, you no, know, during the breaks and everything, all different types of stories, people who are, uh, People who are uh, 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 downtrodden, desperate, demotivated, and everything else. And they actually believe the negative things that they hear about themselves on social media and everything else. And I'm going to tell you this. Don't believe it. Right? One of the, no, we're a competitive species as human beings. Now, where am I going with this? We're competitive. Starts from little on. Sports, you're competing for toys, competing for your parents' attention or for teachers' attention. We're competing with everything. And there's a couple of ways that you can compete. One of the ways you can compete is by what? By outperforming everybody. That's one way you can compete. That's the honest way of competing, right? Is, uh, is, uh, 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 competing is to do better. What's the other way of competing? Knocking other people down. There are people out there who live to knock other people down. Why? To put them in their place. And so let's face it, sometimes you, we all need a swift kick in the pants to put ourselves in our place. We need to take a little bit of that humble pie. However, with some people, that's all that they know how to serve is humble pie. Right? We've got people out there who know how to dish it out but don't know how to take that humble pie and don't like to eat that humble pie themselves. You have people out there who like to put you down. Part of the reason why we have safety wars, part of the reason why we do what we do here, part of the reason why I talk about leadership, I talk about all this other stuff, uh, leadership, uh, Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals, anything else is so... You have some backbone, so you have some quote-unquote ammunition for the other person. So try to build you folks up and realize that there are responses and a lot of this stuff that we're hearing is predictable. A whole bunch of stuff is predictable out there. Uh, And that's where I'm going to leave it with that commentary there uh, right now. So we're following up on Jay Leno. Uh, who, uh, if we recall, a couple weeks ago, about a month ago, he was involved in a home accident where he got burned on his face and hands and uh, had to spend, I believe, seven or eight days in the hospital, maybe more, and I hope he has a really good recovery out there. So he had an interview today uh, on the Today Show this morning. Uh, His first since the November 12th incident, right? And essentially, he was working underneath an antique car uh, with his friend when a series of events led to his injuries. Quote, the fuel line was clogged, so I was underneath it. It sounded clogged, and I said, blow some air through the line. So he did, meaning his friend did. And suddenly, boom, I got a face full of gas. And then the pilot light jumped, and my face caught on fire. The Jay Leno's garage star said, well, that's what he said. Uh, and uh, he said, dude, Dave, I'm on fire. Which his friend said, okay, all right. He said, no, Dave, I'm on fire. Oh, my God. And then Leno said, Dave, my friend pulled me out and jumped on top of me and kind of smothered the fire. Uh, Leno was taken to the hospital and everything else. And uh, the burns were a mixture of second and third degree burns, right? And some burns in the face are a little bit deeper and more concerning. Uh, now, he's expected to make a full recovery, and I hope he does make a full recovery on that. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, again, something not to be messed with is fire and things of that nature. Son of a gun. 
someone calling me about an auto warranty or something here. Sorry, folks. I didn't turn the ringers off. Okay. I came across a really interesting story here, right? Where uh, another sports story, right? Uh, no, actually, that was from yesterday. We won't cover that again. So let's take a look at those markets today. Precious metals. We'll start over with precious metals today. Gold was down slightly to 1820. Silver fell to 2396. Platinum uh, came up to $1,050. And palladium is down slightly. I don't know. Does that mean that they're going to steal fewer uh, catalytic converters up here in New York? Dow Jones Industrial finished up at 34108. Uh, S&P 500 was up at 4,019. NASDAQ was up at 11,256. Russell, 2,000. 1832.36. 10 year Treasury was up at 3.496%. Bitcoin it rose again today at uh, 17,785.61. And crude oil. Is at uh, seventy five oh nine at the at and then someone pointed out Jim that's at you know they're trading overseas okay yeah this is at the time of this program it's at seventy five ten all right so we're gonna be back in a minute with our uh, with our uh, uh, main event here and we'll go from there. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. OSHA recordables, first aid cases, catastrophic losses. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. Okay, we are back. Right? Had to take my sweatshirt off. It's gotten a little bit hot over here. Yeah, so I wanted to congratulate my son's basketball team for winning tonight. Guys are pretty happy. Pretty impressive. All right, so today uh, we were talking about confined spaces, right? I uh, had done a training session in part on permit required confined spaces. And there's a lot going on with uh, this stuff, right, out there. So uh, just to give you some background with my experience with confined spaces, when I got into the business doing health and safety full-time was in 1993. And the permit required confined space uh, for general industry had just uh, come out, right, in that year. And that was a, a long-fought, as I understand, a long-fought battle uh, in uh Hold on. And that was a long-fought battle in trying to get that 1910-146 regulation uh, passed here. So 
no, how many people actually die in confined spaces, right? Uh, no, so that's how long I've been dealing with this stuff. And I know at the beginning of your career, if you're doing industrial hygiene and health and safety, right, a lot of times they put you as the confined space entry attendant. That's what your job is. That's all that you do. Uh, right now I'm working a project where they were acquiring uh, a certified safety professional as the attendant because they don't trust this particular client uh, does or host employer, I should say, does not trust anybody other than a CIH certified industrial hygienist or certified safety professional to be in charge of confined spaces. So uh, it's like a real weird thing that I'm doing like one year, uh, me and my counterpart are doing first year and second year safety work, maybe fifth year safety work where you would put someone out on. And we've been doing this, me for 30 years and him for 40 years like a weird thing but anyway so from 2011 to 2018 1,030 workers died from occupational injuries this is from bls.gov involving a confined space the annual figures range from a low of 88 in 2012 to a high of 166 in 2017 this is from the bureau of labor statistics so this happens quite often but the fact of the matter is that uh a lot more people probably get hurt. And as usual, a lot of these folks are from, uh, are from, that are getting killed are would-be rescuers, right? As always talked about. So what are some of the uh, things, right? That, where people get killed, right? So listen, these are, these are the numbers. And they include uh, trench collapses, which, Technically, trench collapses, trenches, and excavations are not permit-requiring confined spaces. So uh, they included that in there. So apples may not include be compared to apples here, and I'm shocked that they do this because the uh, because the uh, uh, trench collapses and confined spaces are two different things under the regulations. So you look here. And the types of confined spaces for uh, fatal occupational injuries, right? So in a tank, bin, or vat interior, 205 fatalities, right, from 2011 to 2018, from engulfment and other and collapsing material, right? 205 total. So you're getting engulfed in collapsing material and things of that nature. And where did people get killed? In trash bins, green elevators, oil storage tank interiors. Right, uh, uh, blah, 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 here. That was some inhalation of a harmful substance. Yeah, well, that's engulfment, right? A type of engulfment here, right? A hopper interior, engulfment of collapsing material. And how about this? In a septic tank, 19 people killed from a fall to a low, lower level, meaning they fell in the tank and died. How about a silo grain or bin interior? Uh, that's engulfment from collapsing material. Right, silage. Uh, Two hundred and three people died in that period of time from from a ditch, channel, trench, or excavation. Okay, that's not a confined space per se uh, in the regulation. How about only around mines, caves, and tunnels? Right, those are uh, from MSHA. Uh, I guess again a type of confined space, a, a mine. One hundred twenty nine people from sewers, manholes, and storm drains. Sixty one people. And these are inhalation of a harmful substance. How about confined spaces on vehicles? 45 people, right? In a tanker truck, 20 people. Manure pits, 18 people. Crawl spaces, 13 people. We covered a story here about a month ago where a guy got exposed uh, to electric in a, uh, in a uh, uh, crawl space. Uh, OSHA considered that a permit required confined space, and it killed them. And also, uh, environmental heat. How about a well or a cistern? It is a fall to a lower level. So this is all, you know, guess what? This is all in, in there. So what kind of occupations are there out there with the most fatal workplace injuries involving confined spaces? Overwhelming majority are construction laborers. Now, if we recall, 2011 to 2018, these are statistics cover, from BLS, 
when did the construction confined space entry law kick in? Do you recall? The answer is August 2015. So this is right in the middle of this, right? So uh, construction, but that shouldn't make, with the way that things are being recorded, right, this, that shouldn't make any difference here. So constru- I'm just wondering how since then have any lives have been uh, saved by that regulation or how many, I should say, were saved. So construction laborers, 173 people that dead in confined spaces. Farmers, ranchers, and other agriculture managers, 79 people. First-line supervisors of construction trades and extraction workers, 63. How about plumbers, pipe fitters, steam fitters, 46. Farm workers. There was a family that had four fatalities uh, on their farm this year uh, in uh, Pennsylvania that dealt with uh, a, a septic tank. All right, but however, that... It's probably not going to be included in the, in the updated statistics because they were never employees. They were family members. And it goes on and on and on uh, with that. What states listed the most people killed? Well, that would obviously be, I, I, knew I would have to adjust it for per capita right, or working hours and everything else like I did with a country in Europe uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Let's see. Here we have Texas, 106. That makes sense because you have a lot of oil tanks in Texas. California, 65. Nebraska, 27. I guess farm workers. Iowa, 42. I guess those are farm workers. Illinois, same thing, 36. Kentucky, 29. Ohio, 35. A little bit more industrialized. Pennsylvania, 41. That's a mixture of agriculture and probably in heavy industry. And New York, 37. And Florida, 37. New North Carolina, 31. And then it goes down from there. So, uh, hold on. Give me a second here. I'm just looking at data. BLS is letting you download a spreadsheet on here. Ah, we got to be doing this on video next time. All right. So what kind of, uh, what are we looking at here as far as what kind of workers here are going to be, uh, uh, heard in a confined space, right? Self-employed workers. Oh, they have an attic, uh, a uh, category for self-employed. Uh, as basically wage and salary workers, because there's more of them, more of them are going to be killed in a permit required confined space. How many women in that time period, 2011 to 2018 were killed in a permit required confined space? Do you think? It's, Sixteen women out of over six hundred. Wow. All those years, right? So women are not being killed. How about age-wise? All right, I should have done a uh, Gaussian distribution thing on here, aka bell curve. The workers that are getting killed consistently are workers between the ages of forty-five to fifty-four. Those are the ones that are more often getting killed than permit-required confined spaces. I would think of either the young. You would think people would know better than that. How about for breakdowns on race? And I know these are a lot of numbers out here. Who is getting killed automatically with this? And again, this is not abs- these are absolute numbers as opposed to uh, you know, uh, uh, a range for, on a percentage basis or averaged out or something like that, right? It is, uh, whites, right, are overwhelmingly the ones, obviously, majority workers here, right? And uh, Latino, second, and black or Hispanic, third, and Asian, 
Uh, four people were killed total all those years. Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander, one, or other races not otherwise reported, non-Hispanic, three, in that time period. So those are ones. I, I'm just giving you these statistics here. What's interesting is that, wow. So in 2011 here, I'm looking at the data. I'm just getting it raw here. I just clicked on a link. I had it all planned out as a man. Maybe I should click on that link. Three people committed suicide in a permit requiring confined space in that time period. We had one person who was shot in a confined space. Uh, Two people were, uh, one person was attacked by an insect and died. One person was struck by an animal in a confined space. And another person was mauled, mauled, clawed, or scratched by an animal in a permit-required confined space. Really? There were several transportation incidents. Another one is... Breakdown for slips, strips, and falls. Well, I'm going to go into this at another time, not to bore everybody with numbers here. But this is all very interesting on here. I did not know that this data existed. Shame on me. So, there's a lot. So, let's talk about this. Traditionally, in a confined space under general industry, there are three roles. You had the attendant, right, role meaning the person going into space. And the attendant had to be familiar with the hazards, recognize the effects of the hazards, whether they're chemical, uh, tripping hazards, mechanical hazards, lockout, tagout hazards, uh, things of that nature, right? Had to be all aware of that stuff, right? Uh, use equipment in their property, communicate changes in conditions, and keep the attendant informed, and quickly exit if necessary. What kind of hazards might they be faced, right? Uh, all different types, physical, chemical, right? Uh, what are some of the equipment used in a permit required confined space? You have testing and monitoring equipment. Now that these air monitoring equipment is now uh, ubiquitous and cheap, right? Now we have workers actually wear air monitoring equipment on the inside of permit required confined spaces. You also have uh, them working with ventilation, making sure ventilation is set up correctly, make sure it's operating. That's more the attendant and supervisor, but you've got to know that if you're the entrant, the person going into the space, know how to operate communications equipment. Let's talk about that. Is it going to be verbal or are you going to use a radio? Because I tell you what, we when I train, especially for permit-required confined spaces or on hazardous waste sites, People do not know how to use walkie-talkies. Seriously. What we used to call handheld radios, UHF radios, uh, Motorola, RCA. Uh, uh, what's the other one? Starts with W. That escapes my mind. These folks uh, did not know, uh, know how to use uh, Kenwood, right? The, the other one is another major brand. Uh, do not know how do not know how to use radios. They don't know that you have to press the button, wait a second, and then talk, and hang up, then release the button on it, and then the transmit button, and then you wait for a response. People don't know that. Ask them how to work a smartphone. They know that. Give them an old flip phone. See what happens. Oh, it's hysterical, right? But communication is very important. What are the limitations of your communications? Are they actually going to work on the inside of a tank or in a space? Are you using a UHF radio, a VHF radio, UHF ultra high frequency, VHF very high frequency, or are you going to be on the family radio service on there? All of that matters to what your uh, uh, whether things are, are going to work. What kind of lighting is in there? Do you have adequate lighting? What kind of barriers or shields? Is the equipment safe for entry and exit? What kind of rescue and emergency equipment is necessary? And any other equipment? You have to communicate changes and keep the attendant informed. Now, 
if you are now the second traditional thing is the attendant and the attendant has to stay on the outside of the space at all times and has to be involved with monitoring the space not on the phone uh reading uh you know doing whatever on the phone uh not reading the paper not making a coffee run not doing anything like that has, the attendant has to be aware of everything that the entrant is. I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but also has to do air monitoring if it's required for the space. And now the, the thing is with air monitoring, what's required with air monitoring? Air monitoring, you have to record the readings. The air monitoring equipment has to be calibrated. If Why do you calibrate it? To make sure that the equipment is working properly. Right, make sure it's uh, operating properly. Why would you need to make it? No, what what kind of records are you going to rely on that data logger on that equipment? Or are you going to write it down? Well, all my equipment has data logger, but if I'm the attendant and I'm sitting over the hole, guess what? I'm writing down all the readings on a piece of paper, because I tell you what, if there's a problem, if there's a problem, how many times do you think I've seen that air monitor fail? Right that people don't have the right software to download that and everything else. Stuff that ha- that that's not there. And what's the other thing? The, your attendance perform is to perform a non-entry rescue, meaning tripod or something like that. But first, call 911 or the emergency services right before you do that. And the other last traditional thing is the entry supervisor. The entry supervisor is making sure everything else is going on, often the permit issuer. But one of the things is they have to verify rescue services. Rescue services are difficult. So, for example, most this is where most people fail. Most companies fail is in getting rescue services on board. Are you going to use an internal rescue team or an external one? An internal one there are services out there that they'll supply it to or three people for an internal rescue team to go in and get the person if there's a problem on the inside of the confined space. Uh, let's say you're going to rely on your local emergency responders. The question then comes up, are they familiar with your space? Do they have the equipment or training necessary for the space? You have to give them the opportunity to come out and uh, uh, practice doing a rescue on that space. All that goes on. When you see a lot of the CSV videos, uh, at one in particular where some uh, crew was in a pin stock, on scene rescuers did not show up until 45 minutes later with the correct equipment and the guys were already dead at that point. You know, it's very frustrating. So what's my point here? With this, and you know, and again, if you want to go into the uh, uh, what do you call it? The uh, for uh, construction, you have a whole bunch of other roles there, like a competent person. If you're a host employer, uh, you're a host employer, you have certain duties that are required for you to do. And you can say, okay, you're a host employer. Well, under the general industry regulation before 2015, 2015, August. What we always used to hear from host employers was, my name is Muffin and I don't know nothing, right? And that's what we used to hear. The host employers didn't want to know Guvno, didn't want to know anything about these spaces. So what happened was, uh, and it's still today, a lot of people, yeah, I'm I'm a confined space trained gym. Yeah, well, are you construction confined space trained? Uh, why? It's a confined space is a confined space. Well, you're doing construction work. And, and what's legally defined as construction work. So, uh, that requires you to have a competent person. And under the construction regulation for confined spaces, you have to have a competent person available for that who's able to assess and analyze and correct and resolve problems in a confined space. Host employers have to are on the hook here. They have a role here to coordinate things or make things make sure things get coordinated by a third party like myself. Anything with that, you there's 
other training with that. Now, there's subtle differences. From the worker's point of view, there's no difference in a permit required confined space under general industry and construction. Very little difference, if anything's even noticeable. But guess what? If you're a manager, there's a lot of freaking differences there that you got to be aware of, these subtle differences. And that's the uh, issue with permit required confined spaces here. You, so what else may you have to be familiar with? So often the attendants for permit-required confined spaces are also 40-hour HAZWOP trained because you're dealing with hazardous waste in there, and that's a good training to have for that. Not really necessary according to the regulation, but it's often the case. Uh, what else? If you're, the author, if you're the attendant, you have to have first aid CPR training because you're affecting a non-entry rescue. So you have first aid CPR training. Are you going to have appropriate first aid kits, retrieval equipment? What happens also, the entrants often do not want to wear a harness. That's required in the regulation and also a lifeline uh, unless it really interferes with what you're doing. But then you have to have other th standards and other procedures backing that up. All of this goes into that. The other thing is this. Now you're issuing harnesses. What kind of training do you need? You need fall protection user training. Ooh, another, no, uh, according to ANSI, another four hours of training. So if you go by the OSHA 2264 uh, class, or I believe the number has been updated for permit required confined spaces, you're going to need three days of training if you take that class. You're going to need another day of training in first aid, CPR, AED, which we do. You're going to need another four hours of training in fall protection training. And if you really want to go the full-blown thing, you're going to need 40 hours of training in HAZWOPER. And you're going to have another 10-hour outreach course or 30-hour outreach course uh, in construction or general industry. What's the thing? This attendant job is not so easy, is it? This attendant job requires a lot of training to have a competent attendant. Have, no, a competent person. Now, that's more or less who you assign uh, to assess hazards and correct them. But to be an actual attendant, you need a lot of training. There's a lot that goes into it. Some organizations, and I'm not going to mention their names here because they're competitors, they do com competent uh, confined space attendant training is like a week and a half of training right off the bat. They have a whole package, and we have a whole package here uh, of outreach training and you know, confined space entry training and 40-hour offer and all that other stuff that goes into it. So confined spaces, they're not, uh, we learned, we all learned something here for, uh, tonight on that. They're not something you really want to mess with, and it's something you want to follow the procedures for because a lot of people die from this stuff. So that's all I got tonight. We're going to be uh, once once it's on scale tomorrow. Tomorrow during the day, I'm doing a first aid CPR class, an AED class that I'm prepping for right after this program. And we got a whole bunch of other exciting things going on for tomorrow. So I want to wish everybody a happy Tuesday night. I want you to stay safe tomorrow and work safety and keep fighting that safety war. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.